Hello folks, welcome back. You are listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I am your host, Simon Ward. This podcast, my website and all of my regular newsletters focus on the goal of helping you to achieve peak human and athletic performance by helping you to interpret the science and then translating it into easy to understand lessons. So if you enjoy this podcast, you might like to know that I've created a membership program which allows me to provide you more in-depth, exclusive content and programs so that you can take your performance to the next level. And I will speak a little bit more about that at the end. Before then though, this week's guests, and yes, the grumpy old coaches are back. And if you can remember back to our last podcast, which was in the pub at Christmas, Steve declared his interest in taking part in Mark's Lakeland 50 running event. Now since then, Steve's taken the plunge and entered and in the show, he's going to be tell us what motivated him to take on the challenge after a few years of self-declared detraining. And Mark will give him some insider information about the course, the expected challenges, and some funny stories from previous events. And finally, we chat about Steve's preparations for the event. And again, Mark gives him some insider information. So if this is an event you thought about entering, this might just make up your mind or change it. Let's crack on with Steve and Mark. Welcome back, chaps. Lovely to see you again. Uh, happy 2023. It was pre-Christmas when we met in that pub. And now here we are, Mark's a northern light in the northern lights. I am uh, on a tropical beach and Steve's in, looks like you're in Scandinavia, Steve. You've got a wood, sort of like a pine wood background there. Yeah, my Scandi-inspired office. <laughs> well, the, the, the reason for... Because otherwise known as a shed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, look, it, it, we've we've come back in specifically for the purposes of discussing this challenge that Steve has chosen for himself. Now, uh, I think maybe 18 months ago when we did a podcast, we were all thinking about maybe we should um, each choose a challenge and then talk about it in the podcast. But we never we, we never really got anywhere with that. Steve tried last year and he's realised that perhaps running holds more for him than triathlon. <laughs> um, but we covered we covered that in a previous podcast. So, Steve, um, you've chosen to do one of Mark's events, actually, um, the Lakeland yeah. Fifty. So, uh, why don't you just tell us what you think it was behind that, and what's your inspiration, and, and everything else leading up to you sort of uh, sending Mark that um, that entry? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, lots of things sort of coalesced, came together. Really, um, you know, we <laughs> we've been talking. I think. <laughs> I think we're in double figures podcast now. We're always talking about oh, doing something different or some challenge. And like I think you've you, you've done a bit. Um, so it was it was a case of like actually finding something, you know, finding something to do rather than just talk talk the talk, as it were. Um, uh, I think we're so pretty that, good at that, talking though. Oh yeah, yeah, we talk the talk, but I think you know people are probably gonna, probably probably listeners are thinking like these guys just keep rambling on about challenges they're going to do and. Uh, well, I actually haven't done it yet. You know, never, never, never mentioned that something they've actually entered or planning. So, um, yeah, I've got as far as entering. Um, I think, you know, it, it, if it came down to swim, bike, or run, I, I would always choose run. Um, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it probably is my favourite. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it varies from from day to day, month to month, but you know, consistently over the years. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've liked the run. Um, so, sort of, a, I, say, I say run. This might be more of a jog and a walk, but um, 
so so a run a run based challenge was probably favourite with me. Um, you know, I think again on on at least at least one previous podcast, possibly more. I think Mark has put us to shame with his uh, charity uh, endeavours and his fundraising endeavours. Um, so I had that in the back of my mind as well. And then um, you know, the, the, you know, a, a sad aspect is that last year we. We lost my sister last summer to um, what, what turned out to be a fairly aggressive form of cancer. Um, she was looked after wonderfully in the last few weeks, as as far too many people are by um, Macmillan uh, Cancer Care. So the sort of chance to uh, to raise some funds for Macmillan um, uh, presented itself as well. Um, so mm-hmm. I was looking. I was, you know. I was looking for a sort of a, 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 a something different, something sort of, you know. I I think as well if if you know personally, if you're going to raise funds for charity, then um, it needs to be something difficult, something challenging. <laughs> so, with that in mind, I was I was, you know, I think I mentioned on our last maybe off the air on the last time we met. Um, and then Mark actually just sent me a, a, a link saying why not, or I think he might have mentioned it. Why not enter the the Lakeland Fifty? Um, and again, sort of, you know, uh, you know, having looked at, I mean, I, I know the lakes quite well. I spend a lot of time there. We've got good friends up there, so you know, that was another thing that, that just sort of added to, you know, added to the scales, tipped the balance. Um, you know, many thanks to Mark for for giving me the entry. Um, and so yeah, so basically I, uh, I pulled the pin as it were, and then um, I got my entry in. So I will be doing it to get round to raise some some funds for for a fantastic cause. Um, not something I've done before. Um, no, I've, I've I've run a long way before, but nothing this far, and and nothing um, over that kind of terrain either. All right. So the Lakeland Fifty Mark is one of your events. Um, so why don't you tell us all about it? I'm sure a few listeners have thought about it or maybe even done it. So hopefully they can share their stories with us once they've listened to this. So, yeah, off you go, Mark. Tell us tell us about Lakeland 50. Um, so it's, it's basically it's an, it's an ultra running race, a trail ultra race. Although I say size just disappeared into the sea. You, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when you have a virtual back, you just disappear. <laughs> Had to go and turn the sunshine on. Yeah, uh, so um, it's a we've run it for first back. It's fifteen years now in our fifteenth year, and it's um, yeah. When we first organised it, it was quite small, really, and it was um, a few people locally in, in in Cumbria, and a lot of fell runners came and did it. And I think we had like forty people did it in the first year, something like that. And there's a fifty mile option, there's a hundred and five mile option. So it, the event's based in Coniston, so the the, the full route is a hundred and five mile clockwise loop of the lakes. You start in Coniston, head out to the west, all the way up to Penrith and back down again, do 105 miles back to Coniston. And there's a 50-mile option where we basically bus people up to Penrith and they start from there and they kind of merge in, if you like, with the 100 runners and run the last 50 miles of the 105 miles back to Coniston. So, um, so that's how the event works. Um, so, uh, so I'm doing the Wussies version. <laughs> I didn't want to point it out, but, you know, people are ass. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget don't forget that in when you get to Perith, Steve, you do have to get off the bus. You can't yeah. come back on it as well. <laughs> you can qualify though for the hundred for next year, Steve. 
Oh, <laughs> brilliant. Well. Brilliant. Sounds like next year's challenge has been yeah. set already. Ty's already got some <laughs> podcasts in mind. That's that one boxed off. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so, yeah, you've got the 50. The, there's more people in the 50 than there is in the 100 um, for obvious reasons. So when we first did it, it was like 30, 40 people did the event 15 years ago. And we're now at the point where the popularity has grown and um, we had, so we have two and a half thousand places, which is split. I think it was this year, it was split as 900 people in the hundred and what does that work out? 1600 people in the 50. Um, and uh, we, we have a ballot now where ballots open for 48 hours. And I think we had about 5,000 applications in that 48 hour period for the ballot. And then we just randomly award two and a half thousand places. Um, so yeah, so it's become very, very popular in the last last five, ten years. And um it's a big social weekend. I mean, it's a tough course, but we try and make it very inclusive. You know, there's kids fun run, all that kind of stuff. We had 300 kids did the fun run last year. And it's just an, everybody camps in a, uh, on the school fields and other fields that we have we use for camping. So it's a very social weekend in, in, in Coniston. And it's just a it's a nice experience. There are guys racing at the top end to try and win it, but the bulk of the people that come come for the whole weekend experience and a big day out in the lakes, come for an adventure. So, Mark, um, it's 50 miles, but I guess if it's in the Lake District, it's not going to be flat, is it? So what sort of elevation can Steve expect? And, you know, is that just rolling or are you taking them over some some of the iconic um, mountains and trails in the lakes? Yeah, there is there is a lot of climbing and descending, and we should say that because it's the descending that catches people out. Lots of people think they need to go up hills, but actually what ruins them is they're going down hills. We know that from the air. If we're being, you know, the physiology specific term of eccentric contractions of running downhill mm. smashes people's legs to pieces. So most people need to practice descending, not ascending. But there's a, there's a lot of climbing and descent on the course. We don't actually go over any of the major peaks for that. And that's the thing with the course, the whole 105 mile route, we avoid, we don't do Scarfell, we don't do Helvell, and, you know, we don't do Blancathra, we don't do those big peaks. We, um, we try and go to some of the more lesser known places. And I said, you know, we go to Watsdale and Buttermere and those kind of areas. And there's, you know, some really aggressive mountain terrain. Um, uh, but um, we're trying to, we don't follow the paths where you would get the bulk of people walking up Scarfell Pike on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, so we, we, we shy away from those. But yeah, and then you've got, of course, got the Lake District weather to deal with, which is fantastic. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's a, bit, a bit like I am, a bit like I've got here. You mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit. We've had some, some. It just the the differences from year to year in weather, you know. And it, even though it's the last weekend of July, you would think, well, it's summertime, you know. And last year, I remember it. it we had like on the Saturday afternoon. It was it. The temperatures were really, really warm, which kind of melted all the hailstone that had come down in the morning. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of variations in weather. So, uh, yeah, what's he going to? What's he going to be this year, Mark? I, I don't know. Is, I, there's it, definitely it, keeping it a secret. There'll be some weather. That's all I can say. To you. There'll be some weather. What that weather <laughs> yeah. will be, I don't know, but there'll be weather. <laughs> I shall plan for weather then. Um, is it? Is it all on? Is it all on marked and, and finished trails, Mark, or is it um, running across across, across the heather? If you looked on a map, there'd be a footpath there. So it's all on public bridleways and footpaths, but some of them, some of them might be big wide stone tracks. There might be a little bit of you know road, or but you can be in a situation where you, you know, you're running down a huge bridleway that you could drive a car down it, and it's pan flat, and then you could be kind of using your hands and uh, and and stumbling in the dark because you're going over so many boulders and rocks. 
And then the next time you could be up to you could be up to your knees in bog, you know. So there's a footpath or driveway there, but it's not always the kind of you know it's not always kind of smooth going. So the terrain terrain varies quite a lot. So you just said stumbling over things in the dark. Then I'm thinking end of July it's still pretty light for a lot of the day there. So um, what sort of range of times do you get from the for the competitors? And obviously, we're talking about Steve here. So what? Would say, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's an accomplished athlete. <laughs> it, it is worth saying, actually, you know, with the course, the course is um, because it, I don't know if you if you've done any fell races, but with fell races, whilst there is a route, certainly with Lake District fell races, you can pick your own way. So if someone says, "Oh, there's a checkpoint at the top of that mountain," then there's a checkpoint at the top of that one. Fell runners will have different lines off the top, so they'll have mm-hmm. a different descent route to someone else. And the locals will, will go and wreck it. They'll know the fastest way off to get down and the smoothest route and whatever else. So the, the route isn't always defined in fell races. It is in trail races, not in fell races. So that was quite interesting. There'll be a lot of fell runners taking part in the initial years. They couldn't get their heads around this concept of, no, you must stick to the path. So if they know they mm-hmm. can take a shortcut to get across to a checkpoint, then they just take a shortcut, go across. But we, we have everybody's GPS tracked now. So if you go off the route, it actually brings it up. So it's a DQ if you go off the route. And we've had people, we've had the, lead, the guy leading the 100 going the wrong way, cutting a corner purposefully, and we've actually phoned his mobile. It's like two o'clock <laughs> in somewhere. And we've said, you took this shortcut and you were not allowed to do that. You can run back and retrace your steps and do it again, or you're disqualified. So we get that. We used to have all sorts of weird stuff going on, people taking shortcuts in cars and everything. Yeah, it's very bizarre. So so when you say, whilst the trails might not be groomed and you know perfectly smooth, and you can be in a bog or on rocky terrain, there is a line to follow, and you have to follow that line, that footpath or bridleway. And you ask okay, me, and, and what, what, and what time? Yeah, so what time? What time's the start off then for this race, um, for the fifty? And can will is Steve? Can he expect to be in the dark, or would you expect him to be back, back yeah, at I mean, uh, the finish before then? So the way it works, that the hundreds start on Friday evening. So we have a big send off on Friday evening, opera singer singing to start them all off. <laughs> And um, there's, there's, I'll tell you a story about that if you want me to, but I'll have to come back to that because it involves um, yep. the access to winner Paul Potts and various things, but it's a very strange story. Um, so there's an opera singer sets them off six o'clock on the Friday night and they set off and they get to Dale Main Country House, which is halfway or 56 miles. They get there. And, well, the first ones are coming through at five, six in the morning. The last ones are coming through at four o'clock in the afternoon. So the, the, the middle ones in the hundred are kind of coming through Dale Main near Penrith around midday on Saturday, having set off at mm-hmm. 6 o'clock on Friday. So we then start all the 50 runners in the middle of them. So the bulk of the 50 runners are kind of blending into the middle of the 100 field. So that's good because they kind of get, well, unless you're right at the back of the 100, you've got people giving you support then, and you know, they buddy up and help people and things like that. So if, if you think Steve's starting at midday, let's say it's dark at 10 o'clock, half 10 or something, you know, if you were in at 10 o'clock, you'd be in the top. 2030, you know, so uh, records, actually records seven hours, something now, it's under eight hours, I think. But, um, but yeah, I mean, an average time, if you can do it in under 16 hours, that gives you an entry qualification to the 100. So there, there are no criteria for entering the 50. We just presume people are not stupid enough to try it without having done a bit of running. With the 100, there are entry criteria. So we set the entry criteria at sub 16 hours for our 50 miler. That's our criteria to getting into the 100. You can do other events as well. It's not just, you can qualify anywhere, not just at our event. But um, 
but sub 16 hours for the 50 is is, is the qualifying criteria for the 100. So if you work that out, so if Steve's fit enough to, quali- to get the qualifying time for the 100 and he did 16 hours, then he's going to be coming in at what? What's that, four o'clock in the morning? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, you'll get people who've run marathons and stuff and they just go, oh, 50 miles. Yeah, I'll run it a bit slower, blah, blah, blah. So I'll probably do around nine hours, won't I? I'm like, no, you won't. Mate. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've got a question for you, Mark. Um, do, do you give do you give points for, to people when they finish this for UTMB? Because I know a lot of people that do these super long races now are sort of aiming at that ultimately, aren't they? That's all gone now. That put that system doesn't exist. Okay. So what? Oh, oh that's right. Because since since Ironman bought them all, they've probably got their own qualification races now. Exactly. So what used to happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, if you wanted to qualify for UTMB. You, any race could apply to be a qualifier and depending on how hard it is you would get given x many points so you could do a lot of long distance trail races and stuff in the uk with qualifiers and then when ironman bought you to oh well got involved in youtube he bought shares in it whatever he did they then it introduced that ironman uh so utmb is mm. now like Kona. so to qualify for Kona, you have to be one of their events so to qualify for utmb you have to be one of their events and there's only one race in the uk which is one of their events in snowdonia Yes, I remember when we did the uh, Marathon de Sable, you got quite a lot of points for UTMB. No, it has to be a UTMB own race now to get points. Yeah. Which is the same yeah. model, isn't it? You know, you've got to enter one of our events to qualify for our event. You know, okay, so, so um, for anybody wanting to do a race like this, um, obviously you've got to come prepared for all weathers. Do you have a standard amount of kit that you need them to carry, like safety kit, you know, bivy bag, compass, um, yeah. head torch, that sort of stuff? Yeah. And pretty much that, you know, the head torch, emergency um, um, emergency repairs, first aid kit, whatever. And then they'd have a full waterproof kit, spare base layers, hat, gloves, all of that kind of stuff. And, and like the thing is, if you, you know, you'll say to people, people will constantly try and bend the rules. And a lot of time, because they've never found themselves in a difficult situation in the Lake District and think, well, mm. it's the end of July, so what does it matter? And you've, um, you, you'll get people will try and bend the rules, and, uh, you know, as much as they possibly can. Um, but if you if it's torrential rain and you're hypoglycemic and you start to struggle after 35, 40 miles of slogging on over the mountains and you have to sit down and you're struggling, if you've not got the kit to put on in that situation and the wind picks up, you are absolutely knackered at the end of July. You know, and even when people pull out, the, the, we have checkpoints on routes. So there's 14 mm-hmm. checkpoints on 100. Um, so, you know, what, what is that, one every eight miles, checkpoints every eight miles, for example. Even if you pull out at the checkpoint, they're still sat in the corner dithering with a full emergency kit on. And you get idiots like me say, you got to, you know, you got to, we'll say you've got to bring a pair of tights and you'll get the moron who drops out at, drops out at Kentmere and a brought a bloke who brought a pair of ladies' tights, that, you know, <laughs> that's like proper ladies' ladies' tights he, over the skirt, thinking he's funny. Was he going to somewhere else afterwards? Can you say it's white? It's called, it's called... Yeah. weight and pack size you want to pack as small and light as possible and then the idiot sat there in a pair of tan ladies tights in the corner shaking uncontrollably because he's so cold he's dropped out do you know what i mean yeah my sympathy levels levels ain't that high to be honest you know (laughs) i i i sorry 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 i presume is everything checked so uh uh, mark yeah 
we have kit checks and we have we have um, checks at the finish as well. And the thing is that potentially there'll always be the idiot that will try and get round it because even if you have kit checks mid race or wherever it may be, you can't stop everybody at checkpoints and do a kit check at every single checkpoint. It's no, no. So you could do a kit check and then you could go and chuck some stuff in the car before you start. And then people, I think people in the past, I know what they've done is when they know there's going to be intermediary check po- uh, kit checks or a kit check at the finish, they'll stash some stuff up a bridal way three miles from the finish and grab it on the way in. You know, because there's, if people want to cheat, they'll always get round it. You know, they'll always yeah. get Mates will meet them in a car and give them a different running pack four miles from the finish. Mm-hmm. You know, so. <laughs> we, I, I no supported idea. some people on the on the Keltman last year, and um, it, you know you only have to go with them on the second part of the run, which is up onto one of the Munros. But from if you saw photographs of the leaders there, there's beautiful blue sky visibility across the whole of the you know the the you know the west coast almost. By the time we got up there, and they, they, the couple I was with the, were the last two people that were able to go up the mountain before they make them go around the bottom. And the weather closed in. The visibility was less than five meters. You needed a compass and a map. And I mean, I know how to use one of those. But even then, I, I was—I would have been struggling because there was no landmarks you could look at. Yeah. Just had to look down a scree slope and think, oh, "I wonder if that's here on the map." Yeah. Um, and I—I I had my running tights, waterproof trousers, and four layers on, as well as a beanie and gloves. And I was absolutely frozen. And, they, and I'd only been going, I'd started off dry. They'd been going all the race and yeah. they were tired. You know, so it's, it is amazing how quickly things can close in. And it's the people who are ill-prepared who are the ones who end up in trouble, aren't they? And the, the thing is, what it's like waterproof trousers. That is an example. To a triathlete or a general runner, the concept of wearing waterproof trousers when you're running is just, well, mm-hmm. that's never going to happen. I might wear them when I'm walking or on a very rare occasion, on a bad day on the mountain bike, I never wear waterproof trousers, but then they're absolutely knackered at 35 miles. And so they have to walk. They're not running, they're walking. And then mm. dark, some of the terrain is so bad. So like, there's a section between uh, the last two checkpoints between Chapel Style and between Tilberthwaite. And you're going behind the back of Blee Tarn. It's a road that kind of goes from Great Langdale to Little Langdale. And around the back of Blee Tarn, it's so rocky underfoot you're stumbling and watching for footing. So you can't run anyway. So even if you were strong enough to run, you wouldn't be able to run. You just got to watch your footing where you're going. So you are, in effect, just stumbling over rocks slowly. Mm. It could be in driving winds and rain. So, yeah, you, you, you know, most when people go out for a training run, they probably don't go more than two or three hours, and they are running. So you'll get people who even in the worst of conditions might go out in shorts and a long sleeve base layer and think they're fine. But when you're absolutely exhausted and you're forced to have to walk, then it becomes a... Mm completely right mark before i ask mm. uh, steve to talk about his training and then we can turn for i've got a couple more questions first is what, what sort of footwear do you recommend because it's variable as you've said the terrain yeah um it's it's hard because the, the thing is what you almost want some kind of go-go gadget legs that keep switching trainers because it i mean i suppose the, the terminology when people talk about trail shoes or fell shoes and the difference Fell shoes to me, like Walsh's or some of those, you know, innovate like the, the real fell shoe innovates because I know they make a range, yeah. but um, they've got zero cushioning and you're very low to the ground for stability, but there's amazing tread. So you've got that really good grip when you're descending at speed over rocky stuff or in boggy stuff. But if you were running on a hard track for many, many miles, they would just batter your legs because there's no cushioning in them. So you want something that's quite well cushioned because you ultimately you're doing 50 miles, but then there mm-hmm. are sections where it's so aggressive going downhill that you have to have an aggressive tread as well. 
So you need a bit of an all-rounder. And you're probably not going to be descending at speed anyway because it's not a five-mile fell race. It's a 50-mile ultra. Mm. So you can probably get away a bit with the stability. So I would say something that's very, very cushioned and something that's got a lot of grip on as well and finding that balance. So I think like five, ten years ago when you bought trail shoes, a lot of them were US made and they had crap tread on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So you had cushioning and no tread or lots of tread and no cushioning. Whereas now I think they've changed more for the UK market. So you, are, you can get shoes that have got quite aggressive tread and a good cushioning. And some of the hokers are good. And, you know, the last Sportivas and those kind of shoes, they've got they've got best of both worlds. But ultimately, what I would say is whatever's the most comfortable, because you'll tend to find what will break people is not because they've not taken enough gels or fueled themselves. It's just because the, the either the knee is shot or the foot is so badly blistered that they can't carry on, especially in wet conditions. We see big differences in dropouts with the conditions. Right, so for clarity, I would I would yeah. say, and actually, this this might be some help, is that Mark does have a running shop, the endurance yes. store, and um, I'm fairly certain that if you do want to do this race, number one, he could give you some guidance, um, particular to you, and number two, if you want some running shoes that suits Mark events, then um, whilst there's lots of stores out there, you know, you're getting from, you're getting them from the person who organises the race and spends a lot of time running up there, so. There'll be a link for that in the show notes, but just so you know that Mark does have a, an interest in a running store as well. Um, he knows tell what he's Mark, talking about. Tell us, yeah, he knows what he's talking about, yeah. Um, before I asked Steve about his training, I, I particularly, I don't know about you, Steve, I want to hear the opera singer story. <laughs> Not the singer story. Oh, I, I, do you know what? This is the best thing about the race is the stories. I mean, I could just talk all day about the stories. It's really funny. And I'm just, I'm going to go for a tangent before I tell you the option. I promise I'll be quick here. But you know what, what's, what I like about the race and people, to, oh, oh, Sarah, how, you know, why is it popular? How do you keep people coming back? Because the same race, if you keep coming back to the same race and nothing changes, you know, it's the same course, then how do you make it different every year? And it's very simple because if you, we have a theme every year, a different theme. So last year it was um, like um, the Woodstock kind of theme. And it was make legends, not war because of Ukraine and stuff like that. So it was all that kind of stuff. The year before was the first year back after COVID. So it was the Blues Brothers getting the band back together. Everybody needs somebody. Everything was Blues Brothers themed, black glasses, every competitor. And this year it's uh, it's Yellowstone country and Western. Do you know that, Steve? Oh, oh I'll be watching yeah. Yellowstone as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, Rick, <laughs> I'm Rick and the Uncle Terry who organises a race with me, he's, he's Mr. Dutton. So he's oh, not Steve, you're gonna to have to go as you're gonna to have to go as Jamie, the solicitor, or Beth Dutton. Oh Beth. Or so you could be Jim, you could, no, you could be Jimmy. You could be Jimmy. I've got the hair for Jimmy. He looks like Jimmy, yeah. So it's Conestone. Okay. And there's a great line. I'm off at a tangent. I've gone from a tangent from the tangent now. There's a great line in see if you can remember this from Yellowstone. Where where uh, um Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Dutton nearly loses uh, John Dutton nearly loses his grandson in the river. Do you remember that? He's, and he's yeah, yeah. River and, he, and he and and he's later on he's talking to Rip and he says to Rip, um, "I nearly lost him today." And Rip turns around and says, um, uh, "You know," he says, "I almost lost him today." And Rip turns around and says, "Well, uh, it's hard to measure almost because." And he said, "Where do you learn? Where do you learn that then?" Didn't he? Almost doesn't matter. And that's that's our tagline for this year's race. Almost doesn't matter. 
As long as, as long as I don't get dropped at the train station. <laughs> yeah, just, everyone doesn't get finished, doesn't finish, gets taken to the train station. So it's all it's all well, country we, western themed. And there's loads of stuff that I'm not going to give any more away on, on it, but there's loads of country western stuff which will just be hilarious. But we change the theme every year, but there's that many different people with different stories and doing it for different reasons. If you point the spotlight at them, every year there's another story or another person or they're doing something, whatever, whether it's a charity thing or whatever it may be. Mm. So there's all these really amazing stories. So if you, if rather than pointing at the race and going, oh, the race is brilliant, if you suddenly turn the spotlight around and point at the people, you can just, this narrative changes every single year. There's something funny, there's something emotional, and they're just brilliant. So that's that's how we keep, you know, I think it, we keep it fresh every year. What was the I don't even know what the question you asked me was. Opera, opera singing. Um, Quite a few years ago, there is a very, very sad story to this as well, actually, which I'll I'll, I'll tell you the the sad part, genuinely sad part to this, which I'll come on to in a second, some more serious part. But a guy was doing the 50, or doing the 100 maybe. We have a lot of hallucinations. And in in those, um, um, he came in at the end of the race, and I remember him coming into me and and saying, he was ranting at me, saying, I saw Paul Potts, I saw Paul Potts. And, and, and this is at the finish line. And we know people hallucinate. And I said, so I, just calm down. Speak to me clearly. What is it you're saying? I saw Paul Potts. Paul Potts was in Great Langdale. Paul Potts. He was singing Ness and Dorma. He was singing Ness and Dorma. So he, he was, what he was saying to me is, he'd seen Paul Potts from X Factor. I Sing- thought you meant the Cambodian dictator. Well, <laughs> because he actually said to me, not Paul Potts, not Paul Potts, the Cambodian dictator. <laughs> Paul Potts from X Factor, something well, obviously, Paul Potts, yeah. Paul, as it, Paul Potts you know, died many, many years ago, so I didn't think it was, I didn't think the Cambodian dictator was in Great Langdon, but he actually said that, he said, not Paul Potts, not the Cambodian dictator, Paul Potts from X Factor, singing Ness and Dorma, so I'm thinking, this is, I like my bullshit, my bullshit alarm is going through the roof here, you know, thinking, he's obviously hallucinating, uh, and didn't really think anything more of it, and then um, we were kind of, we thought we'll tell this funny story at the presentation. But building up to the presentation, I started tweeting Paul Potts of X Factor fame saying, You weren't happened to be in the Lake District today, were you? And you weren't in Great Langdale by any chance. Yes, and as some runners were going past you. So as we're doing the presentation and I'm telling this funny story about hallucinations, I'm checking my phone. And in the middle of the presentation, Paul Potts, the X Factor winner, tweets and replies and says, yes, I was in Great London. <laughs> so, um, and obviously Ness and Dorma translated means none shall sleep. And they've been going 40 hours through the hundred. Mm. So as, as this iconic moment <laughs> in the event, it was a funny story. So that next year, I'm going to get an opera singer to sing Ness and Dorma live at the start before the hundred. <laughs> Brilliant. And that is now the tradition before it starts is that we have an opera singer stands there and absolutely, and you can hear it right across the village, absolutely belted out, absolutely belted out. Brilliant, what the, a story. I would say the more serious side to this, and I, I hope the fellow listening, uh, Mark, Mark Willis' his name is, won't mind me mentioning this, and it's probably quite relevant for Steve as well. So Mark had a little boy called uh, Jacob, and he was only a few years old and he passed with cancer as well. And in the year we, he had cancer, he came to the race one year, Jacob, and we had him as the celebrity starter. And then unfortunately he passed away. And now when you get to the very final checkpoint on the course, 
um, which is Tilbethwaite. It's only three miles from the finish, but there's a huge climb from Tilbethwaite before you drop down into Coniston. And the climb starts with a big, long set of stone steps. Jacob's and, uh, Ladder. And, and it's called Jacob's Ladder. And we named it after Jacob, uh, Mark's son. So it's funny how everything's kind of intertwined with the people, the kind of people that come back and do it every year. So when you get to that point, so it'll be 40, 47 miles for you, Steve. It'll be 100, right. 102 miles for the 100 runners. Uh, they have to carry at least a one pound coin with them and they have to pay a toll to Jacob before they're allowed to start. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so we did, we, we, and we raised like, well, I don't know, what we, I think whatever we, the competitors uh, donate, we then double it. So I think last year they donated like two and a half, three thousand pounds or something and then we double right. it and they give that to childhood cancer. So yeah, so there's loads of good stories like that, you know. But uh, and um, yeah, so there you go. That's the opera singer in a long, long story. <laughs> we did a we did a mountain bike race once in Kielder. I think it was the Kielder 100, and you have to go across the Scottish, you know, the border from England to Scotland. And they said in the instructions, "Don't forget to bring a pound to pay the piper." We're like, "What pound to pay the piper? What nonsense!" You're going up there across this moorland, and there's these two great big ten foot sticks. With these, with this banner across it, and underneath it, there's this bloke in a kilt, in a yeah, massive wind and rain, playing the piper. And he get there, and this is the only route past past the, the rest of its bog. And he goes, "Have you got your pound?" I'm like, "What pound? <laughs> the pound to pay the piper?" No. Well, he goes, "You can't come through then." <laughs> so we had to wait there for five minutes before he let us through and then my mate went oh I've got two pounds he goes well you can go through there but your pal can't <laughs> the pound to pay the piper don't forget your pounds folks yeah don't forget your pounds okay right Steve on to you so yep. um, you've taken on this big challenge let's tell people about your backstory because you, you, I said earlier and I wasn't joking you are an accomplished triathlete you've uh, You've, you've done many Ironman races. Are you in your 30s now, I think, for the Ironman finishes? Uh, uh, yes, 30s. Yeah. Right. And you've qualified by right to go to Kona. So you've done that one. So you've pretty much ticked yeah. the, um, every box that can be ticked out there. Um, you've got a degree in sports science. Um, you've been a triathlon coach for as long as I've known you and probably a bit longer. So that's a good uh, 25 years. So um, you've got you've got all of the things that are necessary in order to plan your programs but I'm interested in because I know you've also had some challenges with your running in the past which which I'll let you explain but I'm interested to know in how you're setting out your training program for this event um yeah I mean <laughs> setting out a training program I think um uh <laughs> I wouldn't say I've even gone that far to be honest but I have an idea of what needs to be done um yeah, I mean, as as I as I sort of mentioned before, my running is my favourite of the three, and it pretty much consistently has been. It's also been the one that's dropped off. I think again, as we've discussed before, that's as we've aged and got got niggles. It's the one that, that performance wise has, has declined the most. Um, and like since you know, when I sort of a a long hard sort of look at myself, the last few years I've actually. Rather, rather than just being unfit, I've actually, I have actually detrained. Um, you know, you always say that you know, if you if you're fit or you've got the background, you can you can get the fitness back. I think I've got to the point where that possibly no longer applies. I sort of <laughs> look at look at look at about what I have done over the last few years is very, is very little. 
Um, so again, this you know this um, this was a case of, of really just finding something a little bit different that that would would uh, increase motivation or something like that, you know. And, and then and then we go passing that sort of crystallised things a little bit, and it, it's given me a. I'm not sure if that would count as external or, or internal motivation, or however you want to look at it. Um, but it, it, it's something that get you know gets me out the door. So, training wise, I've um, I'm, I'm not cycling at the moment because I've got back issues that have, that have flared up. Funnily enough, that not a problem running or swimming. Um, just sort of bent over on the bike. So, um, I'm not doing it much or any cycling. I've been swimming a bit, but. Run wise, what since sort of I sort of actually entered this or just before I've I've been basically trying to run consistently every other day. Um, at first, I wasn't bothered about time. Uh, sorry about uh, yeah time or distance. I was just sort of getting out the door. I think I started with sort of uh, thirty forty minutes something like that. And the other thing, um, I think he, he's appeared on on the last podcast with, was our Labrador Hachi. So. That's slightly different. That all my runs to date, uh, I take the dog with me, and we go over the the local sort of uh, forest near us in Ludlow, which is uh, it's not quite the lakes, but it is very hilly. Uh, it's all off road. Um, you know, there, there's some there's some steep, very steep hills. Um, so time and distance are irrelevant. I just run pretty much as a as I feel really um, with the dog. So I'm re- I'm, actually really enjoying that really enjoying that running um so that's since sort of um when was it i entered mark sort of february time wasn't it i think yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so i think since then i've been fairly consistent every every other day i've been running um longest runs now i'm up to sort of two hours um and and, and doing that without excessive fatigue um and and really enjoying it really enjoying it so you know, ninety ninety nine percent has been off road in the <clears> forest <throat> with the dog. Um, so yeah, so you know that that has gone really well. Um, my plan is to just to carry on. Is really just carry on same every other day. Uh, some sort of running. Take the longer run up to if I can get to sort of four hours continuous running, I'll be happy. But you know, sort of three and a half, four hours continuous running. Um, after that, I'm going to start doing sort of longer jaunts. We have got the sort of n- near us, the, um, the Clee Hills. There's, there's two Clee summits that are runnable from my house. And that is a little bit more Lakeland. It's, it's you know, it's, it's uh, exposed. It's moorland. Uh, it's rocky. Um, so I think sort of, you know, extended sessions on or around those. Um whether I'm run, you know, that would probably be run walk, um, you know, stopping stopping at a pub or a shop for some for some uh, proper food, as it were. Um, um, and then again, I'll, I'll I'll might pick Mark's brains on this. I had thought about doing a an organised fell right, an organised sort of ultra trail race as a as preparation. But what I'm now thinking is actually coming up to the lakes and splitting it into two. And doing the first half of the course, um, and then maybe maybe coming up again and doing the second half as, as obviously specific preparation. I think we've met again. We've mentioned before about you know it's 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 a real advantage to know the course, 
Um, and while I know the lakes quite well, this, as, as Mark's alluded to, this the course on this is is a little bit different. It's a little bit off the beaten track. Um, I mean, that, I mean navigation in the hills is pretty good. Um, I've spent quite a lot of time in the hills, but I think knowing the course, um, you know, you, you can't beat it. So I think sort of maybe again, I take, you know, sort of a June time, I'll probably come up to the lakes twice and and do um, do two halves. Mm. Um, Steve, I was wondering there, based on what Mark said about the, you know, the corrosive nature of the eccentric running the downhills. Mm. Um, if if you're doing more to uh, um, try and include that in your training, or if you're doing any strength work to just sort of create a more resilient frame to take the 16 hours of rough terrain that you're going to come across, you know, it's just you're going to be stumbling yeah. all over the place, <laughs> getting tired, um, up and downhill. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, fully aware, as Mark said, that it's, it's the downhills that get you, you know, in, in the hills. It's not going up, it's coming down. So, as I say, all my running has been is very hilly, um, and then I can make it a bit more a bit more specific, uh, you know, um, especially downhill. Um, and yes, I am. It's a bit sporadic at the moment, but I am getting back back in the gym a little bit more. Um, mm. As as you've helped me out with sort of the, you know uh, some um, mobility work as well. Oh yeah, how's um, that going? How is that? Yeah, going? all right. Again, it's hit and miss. I need. I haven't got your consistency, so I haven't got. <laughs> I haven't got down to doing it every morning as a as a as a way of life. But um, I, yeah, I've made a start. It's going all right. It's it's definitely helping. It's definitely helping. Um, but yeah, I think you know, it's, whatever you're doing athletically or, or even non-athletic strength work is gonna is gonna help. Um, but I also, you know, again, whatever, whatever endurance activities you do in swim, uh, sorry, bike or run, then hills, you can't beat hills, uh, and obviously this event is all about the hills. When when you were doing your triathlon, Steve, I know you had a few a few issues with your calves and Achilles tendons. Um, is that, mm. you know, and and I think we both know, well, we all know that as you get older, the, the connected tissues get a little bit more, uh, a little bit stiffer. Bit more fragile. Yeah. So, uh, is there anything specific you're doing to guard against that, other than the mobility? Uh, no, no. I mean, what I, I did have Achilles issues oh, I, for many years, probably over twenty years now, and it was the first sort of thing that started going wrong, if you like, as as I got older. But actually, found out a few, quite a few years ago that it, it isn't actually my Achilles. I've got, I think they call it Hagland's deformity, and most mm-hmm. people get it from wearing high heels. Probably the guy who'd be all right if you take those if you take those ladies' tights, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um so it's actually a, it's like a heel spur, but it's it's not under the heel, it's on the back of the heel. And so it mm. it wasn't actually my Achilles that was the problem. It was the Achilles um I think being stretched or, or friction on on that. Mm. So it kind of two things. It's kind of like put my mind at ease that I do I still do occasionally get pain, um, but I know it's not because my Achilles is um, degrading or anything. So that that kind of puts my mind at rest a little bit. But the other thing is that, again, uh, a good another reason for this sort of event is that it's not it's not distance or terrain that bring it on, it's intensity. 
So if okay. I do, if I do, you know, if I do a, a, anything fast or hard running, that's what tends to bring it on more than anything. So, um, you know, as I say, I've been running up to two hours at the moment without any, you know, any, any sign of it rearing its head. Really, it's only when I pick mm-hmm. up intensity that um, that, that it does uh, flare up. Um, so yeah, it, it touch wood, that's been quite manageable. Mark, from what Steve said, is there any advice you've given him on his preparations um, that he hasn't covered already, based on your local knowledge? Sounds like it's, you know, same pretty much what I would say to people. I would say, you know, that the Hagman's deformity you're talking about there, the heel spur. I've got yeah. exactly problems causing me all sorts. I mean, I've had a problem for years now on the left ankle, and it, you oh. know, it's it's more of a spur heel rather than a, spe- a heel spur, to be honest, um, because it's <laughs> out so much now. And I've got that insertional tendonitis, so it's not in the belly of the tendon, but if you were to pinch mm. the calcaneus, so the bone itself, the surface of the oh. bone, is so tender, and it, it, it causes oh. all sorts of problems. So, um, can you see, Is yours visible, Mark? Oh, yeah, yeah. You oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I've got a huge lump on the outside, and really the only solution is to go and have it shaved down. Yeah, no, mine's not even visible. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm I've got both legs. But yeah, I've just got yeah. this like, this, like deformed lump sticking out the side of my heel bone. Yeah, yeah. Well, by yeah. just to join in on this, then um, by, by by contrast, I've not got any Achilles problems these days or calf problems. The problem is I've torn my adductor, so I can't run anyway. <laughs> <laughs> in, t- in terms yeah. of the training, I would say for most people, I would say. Um, that uh, the strength training definitely because ultimately what this comes down to is is physical and mental resilience so mm-hmm. thinking that you're going to get through it by doing loads of vo2 intervals and lactate threshold intervals and boosting your fitness waste the time you're going to be out there 12 to 16 hours and you it, you'll either break or you won't break so um the, the physical resilience so doing all the strength training and that side from the physical resilience and what would come into that as well in the physical resilience is blisters on your feet so you might your legs might feel fine, but if your if your feet are blistered and bleeding so badly, that might force you to drop out. People after twelve yeah. hours with a pack on it blisters the back. So that resilience side of being used to on your feet and your knees sore is your back sore. Just bulletproof yeah. yourself. Um, I think that's that's key. Most people can easily go the speed they want to achieve. They just can't do it for twelve to sixteen hours. They break it. Yeah. It's not they're not out of breath at any point in the event, but they just break down. And the long stuff, I think with it interesting with marathon runners and people who step up from marathon to ultra, marathon's an interesting distance because you can pretty much get away with your longest run being a run. So let's say you're going to run 20 to 22 miles as your longest run for a marathon. You can go out on a Sunday and knock that out in a few hours and recover within a few days, and you can run that whole thing. When someone says, oh, you're now doing a 50-mile race, marathon runners get a bit confused because they go, right, geez, so how far have I got to run now? So if I'm running 20 to 22 as my longest run for a marathon, and it's that complete shift from you're not running anymore, you're not going to be running probably 60 to 70% of the, the late run 50, you won't run it anyway, you will be walking it. So what you need to do is go out for really long treks, as I would call them, rather than a walk, I'd say get out for a trek, carry your pack, the weight of the pack will make the eccentric braking even worse going downhill. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go and get conditioned to going downhill and suddenly you put a heavy pack on and it just blows your legs. So go out for a track, use poles if you're going to use poles, because lots of people do. And I think you've got to get used to 
basically jogging and walking for long, long periods of time. And then mm. you've got the psychology element of it, that even if you're running up to three or four hours and you never go any further, but you think, yeah, but I'm really fit because I can run for three or four hours, you probably are fit enough, but you'll get to 10 hours in the event and just think, oh my God, how much longer is this going to last? Because <laughs> mentally, they've never been out for that long. So, you know, I think that's the same with Ironman bike rides where people say, oh, you can get through an Ironman on 50-mile rides. You probably can, but you've got to get five hours into the bike and think, Jesus, when is this ride going to end? Because you've no mental experience, no familiarization with doing that distance. So, um, and then in terms of the, the, the other thing, the recce days, definitely recce the course. Um, because um, what we used to hear this all the time with a lot of people that drop out with 100 in particular. I always used to say this in the briefings and in the presentations, the number of people, I would always hear this term time and time again, which was, I didn't expect it to be like that. <laughs> so, the, when people come from like, the rec- that, like the epic triathlon, Steve. I still- <laughs> but we have people, they'll come, we organize recce days where people come and run sections of the course, and they'll come and run in a section of the course, and they'll run, for example, the first 30 miles from Dale Main through to Ambleside, and they'll run that section, and sometimes even drop out on that because they can't complete it. And they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize it was this tough, it was this hilly. I was like, well, now you do. So at least you've got over that. But imagine turning up on race day and only finding that out for the first time. <laughs> you know, it's hard enough yeah. as it is without your brain going, oh my God, I didn't realize it was like this. So once you've done it, even if it's really hard and you and, and you struggle with it in practice, at least your, you know, your perception is now shifted. So in your brain, you now know what it is. So the second time round, there's no surprises. You know what it is. And you're ready for it psychologically. So yeah, I think the recce is critical for that that shift of perception. So don't turn up and shock yourself and stress yourself on the day of the event because it's the first time you've realised how hard the terrain is. Yeah, wise words. Yeah, always. Uh, I, I, what you said there, Mark, I would second that. I've not done many ultra. Uh, runs because running isn't my thing but I have done the M of the S Mountain Disarble twice and that's six days in the desert and you know you can walk that and get around as long as you can walk faster than the camel you can get around I think people think <laughs> that they have to be they have to, but that's that. this is true the camels walk at about you know three two or three kilometres an hour and as long as you can stay ahead of the camels which are effectively the sweepers you, you can get around but and by I see tales of people broken by Christmas because they're trying to run 100 miles a week thinking it's this 250k thing across the desert and and actually where they fail they're super fit you see and they come in they're super ripped which is another problem you know they've got no excess to, to fuel yeah. but they have blisters they don't manage their feet or they get um, on a seven day event like that it's it's dysentery because they're not hygienic yeah. um, or we, we went up one mountain pass, which actually had rails you could hold on to, and it wasn't particularly exposed. You know, you could go up sharp edge and be scared, more scared. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. But this guy just he talked himself out of it because he thought it was going to be worse than it was. Yeah. Um, and I've seen people who really don't look like endurance athletes at all um, finishing that event because they just plugged into a mindset and with poles and walk the whole way. Yeah. Um, well, then- you know, you said about people like blowing themselves up by Christmas because they run 100 miles a week. That's the other thing I see a lot. And it yeah. goes back to seven so many times before with Iron Man. You're better going into it slightly undertrained and 100% healthy yeah. than overtrained with a couple of niggles. Because if you've got a couple of niggles, it's going to be more than a niggle by the time you get to 50 miles. So that's the yeah. thing that people go into it with a small injury 
They get to 30 miles, it's flared up to the point where they're literally limping. And then they've got 20 miles to go. So then the back goes because they're limping on it. And they're just in pieces, you know, they're all over the place. So you have to be 100% healthy and injury free. So you're better going into it healthy because you can get through a 10K with a bit of an Achilles problem, you know, take a couple of ibuprofen or whatever people do and just bang through it. But you can't get through a 50 mile or 100 mile in that condition. You've got, you've got to be res- healthy and strong and resilient. And, you know, the fitness side comes second a little bit. Uh, I would add to that uh, a chap I was coaching wanted to do a, a 100K trail race down in the southwest. He got 62K into it and his glute tightened up and then, hey, eventually his leg locked up and he, he just couldn't carry on. And I, 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 did, I thought he was going to be really, really disappointed because, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, he hasn't got to the finish and that's a failure. And I think he was disappointed, although he said, I couldn't have carried on anyway. But, but afterwards, he had this really sort of pragmatic um, perspective, which was just fabulous. And he said, well, my goal was to find out what my limits were, how far I could go. And now I found out I couldn't go any further than 62 kilometers. And I know why I couldn't. But if, you know, if you're putting yourself out there doing bigger and longer and tougher races to find out actually what you can do at some point if you're seeking your limits you will find them so if you if it doesn't if, if it doesn't get you to the finish line that's not a failure at all that's that's the ultimate success goal is you know is to is to actually find what your limit is but in the words of rip almost doesn't matter does it <laughs> yeah. yeah and what did and what did john dutton say he goes what well, very very perceptive where did you get that from he says i learned it from you sir <laughs> which wise man told you that you did sir that's right yeah yeah right well listen steve we've got a few minutes left i know mark's got to go off and do other stuff um, any more questions you want to ask mark while you've got him on the show yeah I th- well i think um i, I did ask him a, a question on, on uh off the air on about the use of sticks um or, or walking poles uh, that is something i i i need to i've never used them for walking or running so uh mark said it was a definite yes um that's something i need to add to my training as well um i i I need to get some and um and then start using them as well um sorry lecky no clicky clicky sticks clicky clicky click 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 it's like me me dad me dad is um it was nearly 84 he he still walks every day um did the coast to coast three years ago we went we did four days walking in the lakes last year with him and he he swears by him yeah um you know he, he's uh um he, he just says he wouldn't be able to do what he what he still does if he hasn't got them so um i, I will be getting a pair soon and taking them out to i think you know I, th- I think somebody has worked out that the the amount of weight, uh, you know, over a, a well fifty miles, the, the amount of weight they sort of take off your feet and legs on the descents, yeah, is, is something it's, astronomical, it's, isn't it? But even for the it's balance as well, isn't it? Yeah, when you get tired, it's just that having third point of uh, balance. A posture, yeah, a posture holding yourself upright and not constantly leaning forward on the climbs. I. Right. I Achilles injury, we went up to Furfield Horseshoe from Rydal, you know, from um, just outside Ambleside. And some mm-hmm. friends I was with, they were running and I couldn't run at all because of my Achilles. So we went, I, I set off five minutes before them and they were 
they had to walk the steep bits anyway, and then when it levels off, they would run, and then they'd walk the steep bits, because it's very steep going up there from Ride Lenny Road to going up Fairfield. And, um, um, oh, sorry, not uh, um, not Fairfield, Rydal, I'm talking about, doing that Rydal round from, um, from Rydal there. And um, when, when uh, I was going up, I had the sticks, and I held them off all the way to the top. And on the climbs, I was just pulling away from them, no problem at all, they couldn't keep up with me, and they were bent over, hands on knees, and then on the flat bits, I had to do this comedy walk because I couldn't run. <laughs> would run and they get to within a couple of minutes of me and I'd hit the next climb and I'd just batter it up with the sticks. And I'd again open like another three or four minutes on them on the next climb bit. And then on the flat bit, it was um, they did gain a bit more. And I beat them to the to the top. And that was just on mm. a uh, used by using the sticks. So you get a lot going up. But like I said, and then coming down, obviously, but and then people like them on the flat. I think what I've heard of people they say it helps with the posture, but also like mm. the rhythm. You know, yeah, yeah, the rhythm, yeah. yeah. It's all sorts of benefits of using them, really. Sweet. Do you sell wow. them, Mark? Say again. Do you sell them? We do have some in store at the endurance store.com. <laughs> I should be there shortly. <laughs> Steve, I, I, I hope you, if you just have a, a smidgen of your dad's resilience, that'll probably be enough for 84. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, that, I mean, another inspiration <laughs> is my dad. You know, he's he's a um, lifelong athlete, literally, you know. Um, yeah, good, good. That's exactly what we want to He's out there every day, rain or shine. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, good for him, absolutely. Uh, right. Well, I know you've got to go, Mark, fairly soon. So, uh, Steve, good luck with the training. It's a, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great challenge and obviously an amazing cause. We'll put a link to, um, is it Macmillan we're raising money for on the GoFundMe yeah. page? It, it's not it's not live yet, but I will. Okay, uh, it will be shortly. So I'll send you the link, um, and if you would put that on, you know, uh, yeah. we, we all we all do this for for nothing really. So if, if people can, uh, yeah, it, get anything out of it, whether it's a laugh or a bit of information or entertainment, if they could uh, cop up a quid or two, that would um, yeah, that would be uh, very good of them. Okay, so we'll we'll do that for you, Steve. Um, Mark, we'll put uh, details about your races, um, these two, because I guess there'll be few there'll be few people listening thinking, oh, well, I might try that next year. And um, we'll also obviously put a link to the shop for those people who are interested in chatting with you or or getting some trail running shoes or some clicky poles. <laughs> and um, let's keep in touch. It, it would be a good, it, it would be nice to do this live, but I'm committed to another event on that same day somewhere else. So I'm afraid I can't be there, but um, we should definitely resume afterwards uh, for a short podcast, Steve, when you can tell us about how it all was. Yeah, no, that would be great. I mean, um, I don't know. What do, what do you do on the day, Mark? Are you, are you based at, at the finish or the start or? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, Connison is start and finish for the hundred. Yeah. It's finished for the 50. Obviously we bust people up. But um, yeah, just kind of yeah, all over the place doing whatever. You know, we're up there from Wednesday, obviously setting up and yeah. Generally based around Coniston, I don't go out as much to the checkpoints. Generally based around Coniston, which is a kind of our HQ, and that's where everything's based. You know, or everything's organised from. Okay, dog. Um, well, I'll 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 take my phone with me, Sai. So um, if uh, if the moose takes me, I can uh, I can do little video clips or whatever as we go. Mm. <laughs> Look you out for Pol Pot and Ness and Dorma. You have GPS trackers as well, so people can follow you live all the time, you know, in the race. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have GPS trackers. Can you, you publicise that in advance, Mark? Can you yeah, we do. People... Show it in advance so you can then, 
So like uh, generally, like in the, the week before the race, yeah, goes live, and it'll be a photograph of you as a dot, and all the other two and a half thousand people that are doing it, and people can follow yeah. the dots around the Lake District and track you and see how you're getting on. And then when you come into the checkpoints, even the ones that are most remote, we have satellite dishes set up where we can do a live um, video feed, so they can actually oh, okay. the checkpoints, and they might just see you walking into the checkpoint. <laughs> oh, okay that's as much Brilliant. as it's uh, something we could <laughs> do here's something we could here's something we could do steve we could share your mobile number and then people could ring you up either to tell you going off course and you're going to be disqualified <laughs> or to, to give you yeah. to give you some motivational um <laughs> some motivational conversation to keep you going or they'll probably just say you appear to have been stationary for quite some time <laughs> well, that happens you know because it loses signal the gps trackers lose signal in certain places yeah. You have to warn all the families. You've got to tell your family this because we're just inundated with messages. My husband's collapsed. He's not moved. You know, he's like, no, he's not. He's just in Wasdale. It's fine. <laughs> Sitting, <laughs> yeah. Sitting outside a pub wearing a pair of yeah. ladies' tights. You just, you just reappear 15 miles further down the course. It just pings and gets a signal, you know. So, <laughs> All right, fellas, it's been great to catch up again. Thanks so much. Um, we should resume shortly for another one. No worries. Cheers, then. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mark. Oh, I love that podcast. It was great to have the Grumpies back together again. So thank you to Mark and Steve for joining me as guests on this week's podcast. If you're interested in donating to Steve's GoFundMe page, or if you are considering entering a future Lakeland event, or even purchasing some trail shoes, you can find links to all of those in the show notes below. Right at the beginning, I mentioned that I have this new membership program so i just wanted to take a couple of seconds that's there a minute or two to tell you a little bit more about that so for instance if you were training for an event like the Lakeman 50 you would find some training plans in the library to help you prepare for an event like that we've also got training plans for the regular triathlons long distance triathlons duathlon aquabike swim run exterra grand fondo as well as the standard marathons and long distance swims that you can find today and we've also got some very specific programs that will help you boost your functional threshold power for the bike or your critical swim speed in the pool swap members also get access to monthly workshops that we put on as well as free access to the less frequent but regular educational workshops on subjects like nutrition sleep strength and many more and we also have a discount on a range a growing range of partner products then these are things that I use myself and I've asked these folks to be partners with me because I really believe them and I just want to help them build their business too, as well as offering something to our members. So if you want to learn more about this and access the member-only benefits, please visit my website, simonward.co.uk or drop me an email to beth at thetriathloncoach.com. And by the way, that's not my something name, that is just my wife's name that she does with all the admin. If you want to make sure you don't miss any episodes in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click on the subscribe button. And if you really do want to follow me on social media, you'll find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Search for The Triathlon Coach or Triathlon Coach. And if you're really in the mood and you're on Apple Podcasts subscribing to this show, you could also leave us a review in there as well. So you'll find a link to that in the show notes. So that's all. I hope you enjoyed the grumpy old coaches. They will be back soon. But for now, I will see you on the next episode.